Welcome to Entheo Nation, where we feature visionaries who are pioneering the cutting edge of awakening. Psychedelic science, modern shamanism, neuroscience, new paradigm lifestyles. Get ready to harness the power of visionary states and forge reality into your wildest dreams. Visionarios, countdown to Burning Man. Are you ready? This is Lorna Liana for episode 25. And for those of you going to Burning Man, I want to encourage you to have a safe burn and the time of your life. In today's episode, we're going to explore what it takes to fully enjoy Burning Man or any other transformational festival as a visionary couple taking entheogens. I have with me Larry Norris and Julie Megler from Erie, Entheogenic Research, Integration, and Education, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the responsible use of entheogens and psychedelic harm reduction. They're going to share with us their best tips on how to keep your romance alive in a harsh and overwhelming party environment, how to hold a strong, sacrosanct relationship container when psychedelic experiences trigger powerful emotions, and what it means to have a psychedelic partnership that creates positive impact in the world. Before we jump into this interview, I want to give a shout out to Alf Herigstad, who said, I found this program to be both very interesting and enlightening. As a practitioner of Northern magic, it is great to hear about other paths and other experiences and see the through line that connects us all. Great job. Keep it up. Thanks so much for your awesome ratings and reviews, Tribe. It really helps this podcast reach more people, and it might just save somebody's life. Today's Medicine Music for the Soul is another uplifting track by Dea Dova, who I would describe as Aboriginal Shamanic Trance. You can discover more about Dea Dova by visiting our show notes at entheonation.com slash 25. If you would like to receive a free transcript of this episode, it is super easy. Simply text Entheonation, that is E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. Just reply to the SMS with your best email to get access to premium content that's only available to bona fide citizens of Entheonation. If you like this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would take the time to rate and review this show in iTunes, as this will increase Entheonation's visibility in the iTunes marketplace and help get this life-changing information out to the people who need it. Now on to the show. Hello, amazing visionaries of Entheonation. This is your host, Lorna Liana, and we are here today with two fantastic guests that are going to share with us how to navigate 
a visionary partnership. So as you may know, exploring non-ordinary realities can make or break a relationship. Whether you're at Burning Man or in an ayahuasca ceremony, harsh environments and difficult experiences in altered states can test even the strongest relationship bond. So what do you do if you have a powerful experience and you have to now um, hold that space for the processing of really strong emotions? Well, Larry Norris and Julie Megler, who are the lead facilitators of ERIE, that is the Entheogenic Research, Integration and Education organization based in San Francisco will share with us some of their best advice. They will share their tips on how couples can optimize their visionary experiences while staying healthy, playful, and deeply connected, even in extreme conditions. So thank you so much for joining me on the show, Larry and Julie. How are you today? Doing very well. Thank you very much for having us. So I'm really curious to know, because you guys are almost like a quintessential visionary partnership. I love seeing your photos at Burning Man. I love the fact that both of you are doing this facilitating work at Erie. So if you can help me understand what your backgrounds are and how you came to have this awesome visionary partnership in love and in work, how did that manifest for you? So, Larry, do you want to start? Maybe because you're the founder of Erie, correct? Sure, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so why don't you give me some of the backstory and how Erie started and then how you ended up coming together and doing this work together. Sure, absolutely, yeah. So, Erie started about two years ago. Um, we're actually a group of students in Susana Bustos' Entheogenic Shamanism class and we came together and came to the realization that there needed to be a stronger platform for this type of research uh, and this discussion. There are a lot of people doing great work, but we weren't really having an opportunity to talk about it, to build community around it, to network around it. So, the idea initially started to create this platform and to bring speakers together. All of us were also doing this research, so you know we thought, what a great way to also get our feet wet and have an opportunity to meet the community. Through that process, we came to the realization that integration was also a really important aspect and that a lot of people were having ceremonies here in the Bay Area or around the world and then sort of left to deal with what was happening and not knowing what to do with it. Uh, this also comes with the context of Burning Man, where you have this really intense week-long, two-week-long experience and come back and how do you sort of relate? So integration became a really important part of our work. Somewhere along the line, about a year into we had this uh, Women's Visionary Con- um, uh, Symposium, our Women's Antigenic Symposium, and Julie, I invited Julie to come speak, and we sort of met through that talk and uh, sort of developed our beautiful relationship from there. So we sort of connected on this deep layer, not just uh, with doing our personal work with antigens, but also from an academic and scholarly standpoint. So it was a really beautiful connection. Wow, that's so romantic. So Julie, tell me, how did you get involved in this type of work? So I'm both a family medicine and a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And while I was in nursing school, I read this article in the MAPS Bulletin, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, about how to become a psychedelic researcher. I was right in the middle of nursing school, and the first thing they said was, get your credentials. And so that was kind of when I decided that I wanted to move forward and also get my master's and really felt that knowing your full mind-body connection was an important aspect of this work and for overall health balance and how the biomedical model really separates those two things. And then once I kind of got my credentials and some experience, I started kind of pursuing different opportunities, was asked to speak at Psychedelic Science a few years ago about the therapeutic uses of ayahuasca in post-traumatic stress disorder. And what was interesting about Larry and I's connection also is, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of factors that really clicked for us, one of which being that we both hold very different sides of 
the visionary work and that I come from a more clinical biomedical like healing side of things and he holds a lot of the creativity and so it's a beautiful balance and on top of that when we first met I was very much in the the beginning of a very large integration process for myself so we got to kind of build the foundation of our relationship really looking at how to support each other while we're navigating these states we're able to sort of practice the tools right away Wow, that's absolutely beautiful. So when you guys first met, was it love at first sight? Yes. <laughs> I better say yes, right? <laughs> wow. Well, it seems like you guys are on an awesome journey together. So I completely commend you on that. I do want to ask you, given that you both are in a romantic relationship and also have a scholarly and uh, professional relationship in the work that you do with Erie, what's some of your best advice on how to make a relationship that involves shared visionary states work in such a way where together the union is actually creates a greater good and a bigger impact than the work that you do individually? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, just in how... The business side is a huge reflection of our intimate relationship, right? And so in the same ways that we balance each other in our relationships, since I come into things with a more like scientific way of doing my own personal work, and then Larry helps me by bringing in creativity and painting and various things while I'm learning how to integrate, it also helps in our business model as well. So I may be thinking about things more clinically, Larry may be thinking more about how do we bring in like the cultural perspective and the education around the indigenous practices. And so we kind of take a look at how each side can be not only in balance, but really strengthening each other as well. And I, and I would say also maybe on top of that, it's like an automatic sounding board. We get a chance to really explore these techniques and tools with each other. And so when Julie was going through a really strong integration process, for example, we tested out symbolic integration. So we put a big canvas up on the wall and we both painted together. And as we were painting, just had conversations and dialogues about the experience. And each of us individually could have done that, but it really shows the efficacy when you're able to do it with somebody else and see the result. On top of that, too, we also just recently uh, were able to put together a couple talks. We talked uh, at an Erie event in at CIS, uh, California Institute of Integral Studies, and then at the Detroit's first antigenic conference and found out that what we were talking about was really well received by both the communities. And basically, it's like, again, just how do we work together within these experiences? So able being able to bring it back to communities, sharing our techniques, uh, what do we do, what things worked, what things didn't work, what implementation we were talking earlier about implementation. How do we take these experiences back from these other realities and, and apply the insight here? How do we sort of take the next step instead of just having visions, but actually take the next step? And that's another thing. In partnership, you're able to hold each other accountable to take that next step. You're not just sort of visioning into the future without anyone saying, hey, did you manage to do that? Remember that thing we were talking about? So it also that's also a really important aspect, holding each other accountable for our visions. Yeah, it's kind of like this fun little balance where the work we do personally together helps us inform what we're creating in the works of Erie and professionally. And then at the same time, as we're formulating things, as we're kind of, you know, either talking at conferences or working and putting together events, we can then use that to then reflect back and help us kind of evaluate how we're doing in our personal dynamic, either individually in our work or our work together as a couple. So what was your first visionary experience together as a couple? We don't encourage these experiences and only do them in places that are legal. <laughs> it's all hearsay. Oh. You know what it was? 
It was. And uh, we were hiking. And... No, 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 no. It was uh, at Psychedelic Science on Bicycle Day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> very appropriate. And it was, you know, just a month into dating, and it was just kind of very playful and fun, and stayed up until sunrise. You could operate the bicycles without getting into a gnarly accident. <laughs> we realized Bicycle Day is really about bringing your bike to the place that you lock it, and then walk from there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> Much safer that way. <laughs> wow. Okay. And so then is uh, sharing visionary states now a regular part of your partnership? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's been really great is sort of exploring and seeing which visionary experiences work well together, which ones are maybe perhaps better to kind of solo journey with, which ones are really great to explore different layers of intimacy. So that's kind of been a really fun exploration as well, because there's some experiences that, you know, sometimes it is, I found with, uh, for example, a DMT type experience, it's hard to sort of be in direct contact because all of a sudden when you blast off and have this sort of out-of-body experience, there's something that's grounding you still in this reality. So there's certain elements of like, okay, how close can we be without sort of like also uh, impeding on our ex exploration but still want to keep that connection and then other journeys where like you want to touch the whole time and you really want to sort of get engaged with the somatic senses that each of us are feeling and so I think this exploration has been beautiful too because we're getting different nuances and to the previous question you asked different nuances of the medicines. So it's interesting. So there's certainly like the different nuances of the different medicines and all. And then there's like the journey that you're taking together as a couple. And I've personally mm. found that with regular work with visionary medicines, that continuous and very subtle yet profound opening mm -hmm. of two hearts and two souls together. And for me, it's like such a sacred space to share with another mm. person. And so I believe, in my opinion, that relationship can be a really powerful container for spiritual growth, like a crucible mm -hmm. for spiritual growth that will allow each other to really evolve into their most magnificent selves. Mm -hmm. But in order for that to happen, you really need two people that are completely committed to holding a sacrosanct relationship container. Otherwise, it will break. Because I mean, if you're especially if you're working in visionary medicines, and you're holding that relationship container of vulnerable openings can occur a lot of difficult emotions can arise, especially dating from your childhood or the person's childhood or, you know, something that might be going on at that time, like a really difficult traumatic experience involving other people can like really come into that space that you're holding with the other person, even if it doesn't really involve the other, the partner in that scenario which is something that I experienced not too long ago, where there was a very traumatic experience that my partner was dealing with. And it was very much coming into our entheogenic work together. And it was really intense and actually for our relationship apart. And mm. so I'm kind of curious from your experience doing this facilitating work and being a visionary couple, what is your advice on how two people can really hold that container, especially when really powerful, strong emotions are coming up that can be difficult to process. I feel like I have a couple of answers to that. I think the first thing that comes to me was you were mentioning how we can really open up new areas to explore and travel. And an example that I have is that Larry and I were um, we were exploring a visionary state and we were walking to the center of a labyrinth. And at the center of that labyrinth, we were saying some prayers to the recent passing of Sasha Shulgin and a friend of ours from the, from the Bay Area, both really incredible visionaries. And 
we started doing an eye gazing exercise. And for me in that moment, it brought up a tremendous amount of fear and vulnerability. And I almost couldn't hold it. And Larry was just such a solid rock and really just like held me through that vulnerability. And as a result, what kind of happened was is that all of a sudden it opened up a visionary state that was completely new to both of us. It was something that we'd never experienced in all of our years of, you know, exploring these different realms. So I think just like really getting to know each other's vulnerabilities and how to hold that both in your day-to-day lives and when you're in those states is really important. And then there's also this idea of just like we have our guides and allies in our individual work, whether or not it's a plant guide or ally or it's a practitioner that you work with, is really knowing your resources and tools as a couple as well and not being afraid to call on them and access them. Because sometimes when we're in the thick of our really challenging places, each of your challenging places can actually sometimes clash with each other. And then that's where miscommunication happens. And that's where tension in the relationship develops. So it's about recognizing that that's what's happening, that you're both coming from a place of love for each other, but there's something internally that you're working through. So what is the resource or guide that you need at that moment? And that can come as an individual, it can calling in whatever it is, you may be working on in that realm, it's kind of a very personal process and unique to each individual and each couple what those resources are. But again, not necessarily feeling like you have to muscle through it all on your own and you're failing if you're not doing it just you by yourself or you as a couple, but that there are resources to assist you in working through those challenging places and miscommunication at times. Yeah, I think just communication is such an important part and also just remembering perhaps too that both of the partners are working through challenging stuff and not to take things personally sometimes when things come through because sometimes they can come through with a little bit of a charge or a little bit of emotion behind them. Um, certain situations though, it's difficult, you know, sometimes people have other work that needs to be done and some, you know, there's nothing wrong with being in a relationship and saying, hey, you know, tonight I'm going to journey by myself and do some inner work. And that's part of the process too, is not just necessarily be too reliant upon the other partner, but also know that we're all doing our inner work as well and to come together and to share what's happening with each other and just really keep that communication line open because that way like obviously when we're in these states it's really easy to sometimes hear things from a different way than they're meant or whatever and that can also cause things to explode so again keeping communication lines open keeping the trust lines open and really doing what you can to sort of be allowing of their vulnerabilities without taking it as like a personal approach or anything. Yeah, I was just going to want to reflect back again what Larry just said in that there's a dedication to the relationship and there's a dedication to you yourself and doing your own personal work. Because if you're not maintaining your dedication to that, there's no possible way you're going to be able to bring that into a partnership or relationship. I completely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. So there is the spiritual work of one as a spiritual being walking their own path. And there's the shared spiritual path that you might be walking with your lover and how you can how you can cultivate the lessons and the learning or wisdom that both parties bring to that union or partnership. I also think that there are some medicines that tend to be a lot more effective around conflict resolution than others. So one of the comparisons I like to make is the difference between LSD and, and ayahuasca. So LSD tends to be an amplifier. It will show you the huge potentiality, like the, un, the limitless possibilities. And it can be like really just an exuberant experience. But in my experience with LSD, there just really isn't much of a guiding teacher spirit involved. It's just kind of like, wow, this is the potentiality. Anything's possible. But then, of course, you know, it's like the challenge of like, okay, 
you've seen like this amazing vision of everything being possible and it working out for everyone given what they want. And then there's like the personal responsibility of, okay, what do I need to do to mm -hmm. move forward towards that goal? And I think that ayahuasca really shows people what those next steps are. She's mm -hmm. kind of like that gentle, but a stern chiding mother who's kind of <laughs> like, okay, here's the potentiality, but this is what you need to work on to like get there. And one of the things that I really enjoyed seeing in the Amazon, I've spent a lot of time in the Brazilian Amazon, and I was in the community of uh, Seu de Mapia, which is in the western, it's like deep in the jungle in western Amazonas. Literally, at that time, there was like an eight-hour motorized canoe ride, like through submerged trees and like up these tributaries, and it really took a long time. Now they have a road. But it was really great because I was like, hanging out there for a couple months and getting to the, the community. And one of the things that some of the elders would do in the community, if they had a kid that was really misbehaving and having some going through difficulties and creating problems like especially adolescents and teenagers there would be someone that would take the teenage boy out to like place in the forest with some medicine <laughs> and just be like here drink and, here, then, sure. and we'll sit with the kid and like during that period of like five or six or eight hours the kid is going through some inner experience where pretty much almost always at the end he's just like oh my god I'm so sorry thank you I see how I was being such a total jerk and like this was wrong and I disrespected my mother and I'm just gonna like try my best to like understand what the other person's going through and because I think ayahuasca does a great job in showing you what the other person how the other person mm -hmm. experiences you so so personally I kind of think that around difficult experiences that are really hard to resolve like choosing the right medicines to achieve certain goals like with MDMA it might be like that sense of intimacy mm -hmm. that sense of like I really love you and yeah and then ayahuasca can be like okay like let's figure out what is truly getting in the way of our relationship and figure out what those blocks are and resolve them like within ourselves and also together what are your thoughts I think first and foremost, uh, it's such an interesting question between like where's plant wisdom and does or fungus wisdom for that matter, and does LSD being a semi-synthetic derived from ergot? Is there something lost in the process of a laboratory concoction, whereas ayahuasca has this sort of old traditional plant wisdom feel of a brew that's been around for so long? And so I'm always really curious about that question, like where sort of does that dynamic lie? But I also agree, I do find that to be the case with at least people that I've run across, is that people that are really strong with LSD experiences um, are having a different sort of experience. There's not... Oftentimes, you don't hear about the concept of plant teacher or plant wisdom or a guide or an ally or things of that nature. It's, it happens occasionally, but not as often. Whereas ayahuasca, that's really kind of very prominent. So I think that's a really interesting question. I think you also talk about bringing someone out to the wilderness to have an experience. And then again, that's something that we in the West could definitely use. And that's what maybe Burning Man is. It's, you know, a rites of initiation, a rites of passage to, to sort of bring that humbleness back to each of us individually to let us know, like, hey, we're not the only people here. And that's what we work through as adolescents is our narcissism, right? We're like, hey, we've been our whole life as children, the most important thing in the world. Our parents are kind of at our beck and call and et cetera, et cetera. Now we're kind of going through this like transition to the community and we need to have this rite of passage to realize like, hey, we're actually part of something bigger and we're not the only person here. And so, again, I think that's like a really interesting way to help people improve or grow is to have these rites of initiation, these passages, these death and rebirth experiences, things of that nature. Two medicines that are immediately coming to mind right now are 
and how they can be used differently are MDMA and mushrooms. MDMA is great in the sense that creates the connection, which can sometimes be very tactile. But what it can also do is open up a doorway of communication because it can bring this fear of bringing up your projections or conversation topics that feel a little too edgy, maybe, so that you can like write down a list of things that have been challenging to talk about or you've been afraid to talk about and then sit in that space and actually then have the dialogue. So I think um, in a very practical way, MDMA can be really useful. And then... I think mushrooms do a lot of the same things as what you've described with ayahuasca, but a couple of things that I've been an ayahuasca drinker, that's been my main medicine for the last probably five or so years, but then in the last probably six months or so, I've been working more so with the mushrooms. And what I find very unique and wonderful about the mushrooms is that sometimes ayahuasca can be a little too stern. So the messages that may come across are going to be possibly pretty similar, but Sometimes you get really overwhelmed by the intensity of that message with ayahuasca. So then you kind of then get preoccupied with your own internal work in that process. And what I find is that the mushrooms, it can be just as intensive an experience, but maybe not have that same level of sternness to it. So that then you're not as preoccupied with just, oh my God, what do I have to do? But then you're aware of what that lesson was and where kind of the issues that have arisen. And then in a little less fragile of a state, afterwards so that then you can really communicate in that partnership afterwards if you know what I mean and then also they're decomposers so they really compost things and clear things out you know ayahuasca is a purgative too so I think they accomplish that same sort of thing through the purge through the decomposing in a similar sort of way but it feels slightly different so you kind of have to see what might be a little more appropriate or just kind of different benefits of, of both and it's also interesting is as we sort of keep growing, we have like, for example, all these alphabetamines and all these shulgin molecules. So what types of things work really well in partnership there? And I think hopefully as decriminalization happens in the future, we can really get into the nitty gritty of those explorations. You know? What are alphabetamines? Alphabetamines would be like the tryptamines and the phenylethylamines that were produced by Alexander Sasha Shulgin uh, here in the Bay Area. And he basically took a few different molecules and then tried different variations of them. And these two different books, TCAL and PCAL, which stand for tryptamines I have known and loved, T-I-H-K-A-L, or phenylethylamines I have known and loved. And basically it goes through and says, I developed this one. My wife Ann and I tried it at this number, at this number. This number is good for museums. This number is more just sit at home and kind of explore. So he kind of actually went through and explored with his wife. It was a really beautiful dynamic of all these different ways that these experiences can happen. And again, being able to have that sounding board, bouncing off your partner and really knowing each other well to sort of explore that. But again, you know, those are dealing a little bit more with, you know, chemicals from a laboratory and and not necessarily plants or fungus themselves. But once we get to a place where the legal status changes a little bit, I think we can sort of like hone, which are really great tools for different um, activities and partnership. So you referred to Burning Man, and I'd love to ask you this question because I've just seen so many. I mean, Burning Man is just an amazing experience, especially to enjoy with significant other. But I've seen so many cases of like people showing up at Burning Man as a couple and just like leaving Burning Man separate or with other partners even. Are you a modern shaman, alternative healer, psychotherapist, ethnobotanist, or indigenous activist? If so, I'd love to invite you to join me at the upcoming World Ayahuasca Conference in Rio Branco, Brazil on October 17th to 22nd. Check out the incredible lineup of speakers and indigenous leaders at 
www.ayaconference.com. That's A-Y-A conference.com. And as a member of the Entheo Nation community, you get to receive a special discount. Simply use the coupon code ENTHEO, that's E-N-T-H-E-O, and you will receive a 15% discount off the 320 euro conference pass. Join me and I will personally introduce you to some of the most amazing experts, leaders, and shamans in the ayahuasca world. See you in the Amazon. to know from your experience, what makes Burning Man a challenging experience for visionary people? You know, I think there's so many ways to answer that question. You can answer it as an individual or like what makes it specifically challenging for a visionary couple. So I guess I'll default first to the couple aspect of it. And I think a lot of it has to do with pacing, is that our needs for sleep and food and hydration are different from each other. Our ability for dosages and quantities are different than each other. Whether or not we have more fun at night or during the daytime is slightly different from each other. So how do we figure out what each other's pacing is and be okay that the other individual has a different pace than we do? Because just because we're paced differently doesn't mean that we're not going to have a lot of fun playing together and going out and getting out there. It's a about being understanding and compassionate for what the other individual's pacing is and maybe to push them a little bit outside of their comfort zone because that's what Burning Man's all about, but also recognizing you look like you need dinner and to sleep for three hours right now (laughs) or like, hey, have you had any water all day today? Like, just feel like there's so many easy little ways at Burning Man for people to get into conflict. Like, we have... Perfect example. This year at Burning Man, first day on the plyo, after driving all night long, we decided to set up our shade structure in the middle of the day. And it was a (laughs) shade structure that we designed ourselves. Didn't have instructions. The instructions are up here. Yeah, they were in his head. And we had a difference of what would be the most effective way to do it. And so we were like already dehydrated because it's our first time at elevation. It was the heat of the day, so it was hot. We were doing it for hours already. And so it was like, that could have led to a huge fight. (laughs) And it did lead to some bickering. But then it's also a matter of like, how do you recognize, hey, we're tired, we're exhausted, and the conflict here isn't worth ruining our week. So then what we did is we stopped what we did and we ate some food and then we headed out to Deep Playa and sat by an art piece and just talked talked it out with each other. So just really paying attention to the little things that can become a big thing and how to kind of nip them before they get turn into something that you blow a little bit out of proportion. Another thing too, that's kind of an aspect of the challenges of Burning Man is you have, you know, and and we actually saw firsthand probably three different relationships that felt pretty strong that maybe were a little bit shaky by the time the weekend had, or the week had finished. So definitely it's happening. But I think another thing that happens at Burning Man is you get, well, for lack of a better term, creative ADHD, right? There's so much to do. There's so many things happening at all times. And each of us as visionary people have different ideas, different visions, even though 
know there are some areas that are very much similar. So maybe I want to go see so-and-so at the same time something else is happening over here. So to also know, like define the areas that you're really both excited about, but allow for there to be time for people to explore on their own. Because I actually heard that from quite a few of the couples that had challenges. And one of them was actually really surprised because she's like, usually in real life, I'm the one that always wants to be super attached. But here in Burning Man, I wanted to like kind of go out and explore and see all these new things. So really like, how do we balance that? How do we balance giving ourselves an opportunity to have fun and let our playful child like explore all the fun things that they see out there, but then also play together and find things that you want to do. I think a good approach too is like as a couple kind of figure out like what it is that each other is good at. So one person takes care of the food, the other person takes care of navigation, <laughs> figuring right. out how to get across uh, the playa on burn night. One person right. like rolls the medical marijuana, the other person breaks it up. <laughs> <laughs> like one person is a little more experienced navigating like moving landscapes with bright flashing lights and others just to kind of like watch out for each other like, oh, where's your backpack? Or where's your jacket and stuff like that like I know for me like my experience is just pretty much in the jungle so when I'm in a landscape that's constantly shifting and moving I tend to lose things and I get really disoriented so just to like figure out like okay who's responsible for what is a great starting point as well and yeah exactly making sure that each other are taking care of their bodily needs because it's very easy to just kind of get like really just blown away by everything going on and you forget to drink water yeah like for us I'm really good at making sure that I have my camel back on at all times and be like, sweetie, could you use a little water right now? I'm really good at not doing self-care appropriately. (laughs) (laughs) And being the nurse practitioner that I am, I'm really good at staying on top of those things. Oh, good. You can really just, like, strengthen your partnership right there when you figure out, like, how to, to, like, who's responsible for what and how to really care for each other in Mm. those ways. So there's other things, too, that happen as well. So it's kind of like there are physical impacts to being in an extreme environment like Burning Man. So there's dehydration and then there's also possible dips, like real dips in serotonin level and stuff like that. So how do you get past the the two-day hangover, cranky, <laughs> on the edge like phase and get back into like loving balance? I mean, after five days of like poor sleep and being up until mm-hmm. sunrise, it can really have a toll on you. So what are the Things to consider in terms of like not letting those unminimizing traumatic experiences either just with psychedelics oneself and of course with your partner. I think two things. One, the best you can take your responsibility for yourself. But then also recognizing that we know each other's blind spots really well because we spend so much time with each other. So also taking the responsibility of helping somebody through some of those blind spots and reminding them. And a lot of times when you're already cranky, you don't want somebody to explain it to you because you're just going to get reactive, right? <laughs> so sometimes really it's, not today, of, <laughs> yeah, it's not a matter of, sweetie, did you drink any water? Because then he's going to be like, stop acting like my mom, right? As much as just like, here's a coconut water. And then walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Act away slowly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, I love it. What about supplements and things like that to kind of, you know, things that will help you rehydrate more quickly? 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that I would say is like camp with a nurse practitioner and naturopathic doctor, which was I was lucky enough to do. So between Julie's supplements and things to help me feel better, and then uh, we're camping with Dr. Natalie, who had B12 shots for the re-optimization of body and uh, 5-HTP and all these other types of supplements and things that she knows the words to. And again, she was just like, here. That's just take this. So, okay. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe Julie might know a little bit more about the names of the supplements, but I think that really helped a lot because it just puts you at a base level. It kind of gets your body chemistry up to where it needs to be and explore further. My like biggest things for a toolkit is electrolytes and like things that are easily digestible. So making sure that you're having enough salt in your diet, so salty foods, or if you're putting a neutral or electrolyte mix into your water, or at least making sure like two, three times a day, you're drinking one full glass of water with the electrolytes on top of the liters of water that you need to be drinking is really useful. And then food that's easily digestible. So for me, that means even if I'm like stuff that you can eat when you're not even aware that you're hungry. So a smoothie in the morning for breakfast because you can't necessarily actually get yourself to eat breakfast or lunch. Late in the evenings, maybe when I'm coming down, I can't eat salad food, but a banana and almond butter because that has like a lot of packed calories in there. Coconuts are also really nice. And coconuts and splitting them open. In terms of um, supplements and stuff, there's 5-HTP works really, really well to help with the serotonin dips, it's best metabolized when you take it with a B-complex. So you can take up to 100 milligrams of it three times a day, um, and then you want to take one B-complex um, along with it at least in the morning. I myself have really sensitive stomach, so a tip that I learned was tossing some spirulina into my smoothies because spirulina is really high in B vitamin, and that just helps you metabolize and metabolize the 5-HTP. Dr. Natalie has a great YouTube video that I'll plug for her. It's called Optimizing... Antigenic Experiences. Optimizing Antigenic Experiences, and it's on our YouTube page for Erie, which is, if you just look up Erie Vision or Erie, E-R-I-E, B-I-S-I-O-N, on YouTube, you'll find it. Fantastic. So we are coming to the end of our conversation here, which I've been enjoying immensely. I would love to wrap up with the last two questions. So I kind of feel like as a visionary couple, one has a responsibility to oneself, of course, as through self-care and just honoring your own spiritual and emotional needs. But then are there any responsibilities that you would say that the visionary couple have towards each other as well as to their community? I think the biggest thing is, is bringing it back to the community. You know, Larry and I both grew up in the Detroit area, for example, and it was actually one of the selling points when we first met each other. <laughs> we came up from the same hometown. And uh, they, Detroit had their first entheogenic conference this year. And we actually went back together and we gave a talk about integration and about how to navigate integration as a couple. And we got a lot of really amazing feedback, people coming back from various plant and fungus communities local to the Midwest being like, this is the conversation that nobody's having out here. So what can we do to take the lessons that we've learned and share that knowledge with the people around us? And I'd also say another thing that I would say would be to remember as a visionary couple, I know this is sometimes hard for all of us because it happens very consistently where sometimes we'll see a place that used to be magical and then you hear, oh, it's been taken over. Oh, it's too mainstream now. Or, oh, it's too popular. Or, oh, there's people that are uh, not 
finding the sacred nature of this place and just to remember to keep going back to those places and to breathe magic back into those places. Those places are popular for a reason because there was magic there at one time and for us to not get frustrated or jaded or feeling like a sense of, oh, this is no longer any good because it will be no, it won't be as great as it once was if we all leave and don't breathe magic back into those places. So I think as a visionary couple, one of our responsibilities is to keep things alive even if they feel like they've sort of lost their, their essence. And one quick thing that I also wanted to add was not only bring it back to the community, but actually help create the community. Mm-hmm. Like here in the Bay Area, Erie's done an incredible job of bringing people together. A lot of times people who are exploring these states feel pretty lonely because they can't find other people to relate to, to share these experiences with. So by creating a place where people can come to and meet other people who are exploring these realms and more friendships, more bonds, more support, is also an important aspect. Okay. And so with regards to the most important part of the visionary experience, in my opinion, which is the integration, how can a visionary couple support each other through the process of integration and getting out of Burning Man or like coming out of your ayahuasca ceremony or whatever it is and kind of getting back into the rhythm of the quote-unquote real world? Beautiful about being in a visionary partnership is that we're both really dedicated to our own personal learning and healing and growth. So all of that is part of integration. And what integration is, is how do you bring the symbols and the teachings back into your day-to-day life? And that's actually where the real transformation happens, is when you develop a practice to bring all of that with you. So that can come through some simple techniques like setting intentions together, helping your partner set an intention before one of their journeys, and then afterwards helping them create, see what the themes were and what it is that they want to take, how they related to their intentions, and then helping them develop a practice for those intentions and help them reevaluate how that practice is going. But in our talk that we gave in Detroit, one of the things that we really mentioned being important for a visionary couple is just these three basic words, which are protection, permission, and connection. So the protection aspect being how do you create a safe environment for your partner to be exploring these realms because they are very vulnerable places. So how can you allow them to feel safe to go through that those emotional ups and downs for themselves, but then also like how do you hold that together? Because again, as we talked earlier, sometimes if you're both going through emotional ups and downs, it can be hard to hold that as a full unit. So that's where the communication really comes in and giving them permission to go through those, like, all the phases, happy, joy, sadness, fear, just telling them that that's okay, maybe even sharing some of your personal stories so that it can help normalize the experience for them if if it is challenging. And then connection. Like I said earlier, that in the end of the day, when you're working in a visionary state, it's very much about you and your relationship with the medicine that you're working with. So that can feel lonely. So in a partnership, how do you maintain the connections that loneliness isn't there, whether or not it's with you or also helping connect each other to different aspects of the community. And I think for me, like integration is such an important part because if you could just imagine what our world could be if all these beautiful insights that people are having all the time were actually put into action. Such a great example of like integration of Burning Man would be something like Burners Without Borders. You know, people are going out into the communities, doing community work, helping people and actually implementing some of the strategies and the plans and the creativity that they felt at Burning Man. So I think that's a really important aspect of like, how do we like go out there? How do we apply things to the world? In what ways can we make our world 
better through these insights. Uh, we had uh, at this Detroit conference that Julie was mentioning, there was somebody there who were in also a unique space right now with being able to create things out of just imagination or vision. So he actually is creating instrument from his mushroom experiences, but using a 3D printer to come up and make all the different attachments. So now we have these 3D printers, which you can actually just take a map of what you thought about, put it in a computer screen, do it all up, and then print that. So I think like we're in a really unique stage to actually not only just have these abstract implement uh, abstract experiences implemented through routine or transformation or whatever, but actually take some of the images and the ideas and make something out of them. So I think uh, it's really awesome to see this evolution of both sort of technology and sort of us. Uh, you know, plant technology, if you will, uh, team technological memes and plant or cleans plant memes, right? I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. How can we best stay in touch with you guys? If you want to check out Erie, we're www.erievision.org and there's a contact site there. Otherwise, erievision at gmail.com would be the best way to contact me. Um, best way to contact me would be by email. My email address is Julie Megler NP for nurse practitioners. So that's Julie and then M like Michael E G L E R N P at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope one day I get to run around with you guys on the playa. I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for the good good opportunity. Good yeah. luck. Thank you. Good night. So that was Larry Norris and Julie Megler of Erie, a visionary couple I love because of their alignment in mission, purpose, and the work they're doing in the world. What I learned from this conversation is, if you're going to Burning Man as a couple and intend to do visionary medicines, it's good to think about how you're going to support each other's amazing trip. Have a plan on how you're going to deal with difficult emotions or conflicts that might come up. Take daily supplements specifically designed to help with the hangover. I also love their insights on how to co-create a visionary partnership that creates a greater good and bigger impact than as individuals. And now here's Footsteps in the Stars from the album Symbiotic by Deodova. Check out our curated music picks on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash where we're committed to bringing you music you can trip to. If you love the show, or if you have some ideas on how we can make this podcast even better, send us your thoughts at facebook.com slash entheonation. See you next time.
I've come. 